Today with Catherine Ruinala. So as I was seeking the Lord about what to share today, I there's a uh, we are in the book of Esther at the moment and I'm just so amazed at this incredible turnaround book. It's you know as as bad as it gets and then everything turns around. We know that the Lord makes all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And the key in the book of Esther happened when they prayed. Hallelujah. The turnaround began as they recognized my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Uh, but it's fascinating as I look at the book, um, the, the interesting themes and the lessons that we can learn from this beautiful book. It tells us in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. James 4, 6 says, God's opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. James 4.10, humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, let's have a look at the book of Esther. It's just such a precious and beautiful book. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to find it here for you. Praise the Lord. Where's it gone? Here I am. I, I moved it and lost it. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to have a look here in Esther chapter 5, if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to bring a paper Bible if you can because the phones tend to have notifications that pop up and before a minute you're off in a news feed or look at me. Now let's look at the book. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Esther chapter 5. It's beautiful to see here how... The humility of Esther as she gets ready to come before the king. Esther has gotten the news from her cousin Mordecai that Haman has made a plan and he's going to give this extraordinary amount of money into the king's treasury so that he can have a day where all of the Jews in the entire kingdom are to be annihilated and and it's been signed and sealed and it's a terrifying prospect and Mordecai's in sackcloth and ashes he comes to Esther Esther says well nobody can go before the king unsummoned and I haven't been summoned for 30 days and Mordecai, Mordecai said well if who knows but you've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this and she says, well, if I perish, I perish. But she says, everybody, I want you to pray and fast with me. And they pray and they fast for three days. Now, Esther was the queen. She could have just got really offended and gone, what? And just got all indignant and marched up there into the court and, and just said, I am unhappy about this situation. Do you know what you've done by, by signing that decree? Do you know? And she, she could have just blown a stack, right? Sometimes people do that. It, it's conceivable that, that that could be a an emotion. 
But praise the Lord, God hasn't asked us to be people who are moved by our anger or are moved by our sense of injustice or are moved by any form of emotion other than the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's heart for us is to recognise that our help isn't going to come from our efforts. God's not asked us to defend ourselves, but to follow the example of Jesus, who he didn't even open his mouth when they were accusing him. Didn't, didn't bother trying to defend himself, but knew that God had a plan. And, and God's looking for us to look to him. Where does my help come from? I, I, look, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And instead of marching in all indignant and thinking, well, I've got my position. Who does he think he is? I'm going to do something about it. She realizes that her help's not going to come from her position. It's not going to come from her favor. It's not going to come from her, her beauty or her gifts. It's going to come from the Lord. And so she goes to the Lord. She goes to the highest authority, King of kings and Lord of lords, knowing that the King of kings has the ability to, to turn the heart of kings. Hallelujah. So she fasts and she prays, along with all her maids and all the Jews in Susa. And then it says, it, come, it came about on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's rooms. And the king was sitting on his royal throne in the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. When the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court, she obtained favour in his sight. In other, in other translations it says Esther was standing quietly in the court. She wasn't there tapping a foot going. She was just standing there patiently, quietly in humility. And when the king saw her, she obtained favour in his sight and the king extended to Esther the golden scepter which was in his hand. So Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter. Then the king said to Esther, What's troubling you, Queen Esther? And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom it will be given to you. Now the Lord is saying that to you. What's troubling you? What's your request? You know, often we let things trouble us without actually realising that we are invited to make a request of the king. And we let these things trouble us and tick away and steal our peace and steal our joy. And then we're looking to other people and other situations. Can you help me? Can you help me? Or can you do something about this? Can you, can you say something? Can you do something? When the father is there going, what's troubling you? What's your request? Have you ever been in a situation where you're all stirred up and troubled and anxious and you've actually realised you've forgotten to come before the Lord and make a request? Oh, I have. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Anybody else done that? And you know, you know better than that. But sometimes you just forget. Or I've, at least maybe I've said a, a worry prayer, you know, oh, please God do something. But I haven't actually looked at him in faith and approached him like Esther did, touching the scepter of God, remembering that I can boldly approach the throne of grace to find mercy and help in grace in my time of need. And, and looked him in the face, in faith, and asked him. Because when we ask, 
looking at him with eyes of faith, the Father says, whatever you ask, I'll give you. And not just up to half the kingdom, like the king was offering Esther here. He says, it's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Hallelujah. And so Esther, during her time of prayer and fasting, had gotten a strategy. She knew what to ask. You know, I believe that as we cultivate a lifestyle of prayer and fasting, of, pr- of seeking his face, the Holy Spirit wants to teach you what to ask. I've been getting this reverential awe and fear of God ever since oh, a few months ago when I had an encounter in my um, living room after midnight when everyone was asleep. I felt the Lord asked me to come and pray and and I was praying all these different apostolic prayers and praying the prayer of Jabez, which I love to pray. And the Lord said, you know, that prayer of Jabez was a historic historic prayer. It's recorded for all of history. And he said to me, I want you to start praying some historic prayers. And suddenly the fear of God hit me and I went, I need real wisdom to know what to ask because this is a genuine invitation. I need to I need to ask the Lord for wisdom as to what to ask. And since that time, I've been in this journey of of learning to ask with this sense of excitement and faith and yet fear of the Lord, which is, oh God, show me your ways, show me what to ask, because I know that as I come before you in faith, you're going to do what we're asking you to do. Amen? And um, so she, she asks if he would come for dinner along with Haman for a dinner. And the king says, sure, Haman, come on, let's go. We're going to Queen Esther's for dinner. And Haman, he just he, he is the opposite of Esther in that Esther's come with humility and wisdom and the fear of the Lord. Haman, in verse 9, says, Haman went out that day glad and pleased of heart, but when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate and that he didn't stand up or tremble before him, Haman was filled with anger against Mordecai. Haman controlled himself, however, went to his house and sent for his friends and his wife Suresh. Then Haman recounted to them the glory of his riches and the number of his sons and every instance where the king had magnified him and how he had promoted him above the princes and servants of the king. Haman also said, even Esther the queen, let no one but me come with the king to the banquet, which she prepared. And tomorrow also I'm invited with the king. Yet all of this doesn't satisfy me. Every time I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate, then Zeresh's wife and all his friends said to him, well, have a gallows 50 cubits high made. And in the morning, ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go joyfully with the king to the banquet. And the advice pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. So Esther's fasting and praying for three days before she humbly comes before the king. Haman, he's so full of himself. He is just full of pride. And he's like, yeah, I'm boasting about this and I'm boasting about this and I've got all the favour. I'm like, oh, so I'm just going to go in there tomorrow and I'm just going to ask the king if I can just hang that wretched Mordecai on my gallows and then I'll go off again and be the centre of attention again. Isn't this wonderful? But in the middle of the night, the king can't sleep. And so he calls for some boring records of his kingdom to be read to him, hoping that I suppose that it would help him fall asleep. 
And they happened to read this chronicle about how Mordecai had thwarted a plan to have the king assassinated. And the king says, wait a minute, what was done for that guy? He saved my life. What was done for him? And they said, well, nothing, sire. He says, this isn't good enough. It's morning by this time. And he says, hey, is someone out there in the courts? And here comes Haman, bright and early. And, and the, the king says, oh, Haman, come in. Haman goes, of course. <laughs> I can come any time I like because I'm the most special in the kingdom. Walks in, ready to tell the king what he's going to do. And the king says, what should be done for the man that the king delights to honour? And Mordecai says in his heart, who would he want to honour more than me? Because when you're full of pride, you can't see anything outside of yourself. It's all about me. What about me? It's just like me, 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 me. Ha ha, look how great I am. But we just read in Proverbs, pride comes before destruction. So Mordecai, uh, Haman goes to the nth degree of all the things he could think of to honour. Like dress him in your own clothes, put him on your horse, make your most, most important noble, walk them around the city proclaiming that this is what the king delights to do to the man that he delights to honour. And the king says to Haman, wonderful, go and do it for my servant Mordecai. It's so wonderful. This is such a fabulous story. <laughs> and, then, um, and then he turns up again that night at the banquet, ashen-faced, so humiliated, angry, but here I am. And finally after the dinner, we know the story that the, the king says, Esther, sweet Esther, tell me what I can do for you. She said, please spare my life. This man, Haman, is trying to take my life and the life of all my people. The king gets so, so mad that he just steps out into the, the garden for a few minutes to try and calm down because he's so angry. Haman falls on Queen Esther's couch begging for mercy. The king comes back in and sees Haman falling on top of the, the queen and goes, would you even assault her in my, in my very presence? And one of the eunuchs pipes up and says, you know, he's just had a gallows made for Mordecai, the guy, you know, that saved your life. And the king goes, wonderful, hang him on it. And then we know the story that the, the glorious redemption that was brought about. I think it's such an amazing story. But God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. I want to read a few verses to you here about um, pride and humility. Philippians 2, 3 to 4 tells us, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not, require, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. 
but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every other name. Matthew 18.4, therefore whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. Proverbs has just got more than I could have time to share about humility and pride. Proverbs 15.33 says, The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and honour comes before humility. Oh, before honour comes humility, excuse me. And before honour comes humility. In other words, as we humble ourselves, God exalts us. Proverbs 18.12, before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, but humility goes before honour. Proverbs 22.4, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honour and life. Proverbs 27.2 says, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. I've been pressing into the Lord, knowing that he is moving in a very, very special way and I was reading about Evan Roberts the other night, uh, last night. Evan Roberts, for those of you who don't know, was just a young man who was used to spark, um, the, the Lord sparked through him the Welsh revival that actually transformed a whole nation and went throughout the world. It was the, the sparks of the Welsh revival that started the Azusa Street revival. Just amazing, amazing move of God. But Evan Roberts felt the Holy Spirit had spoken to him four things, four key things to see revival in the nation of Wales. And his four points were these. Number one, he felt the Lord say, we must confess before God every sin of our past life that's not been confessed. Number two, we must remove anything that is doubtful in our lives. Number three, total surrender. We must say and do all that the Spirit tells us to do. And four, make a public confession of Christ. So I've been thinking about what does it look like and how do we practically walk in humility? I remember as a teenager, I was so passionate for Jesus, but I was, I'd be on the altar many times going, oh, humble me, God. Until one of the counsellors said, that's probably not a good prayer, honey. I'm like, oh, Okay. <laughs> But it is a good thing to pray, Lord, give me the humility of Christ. Help me to walk. Teach me how to walk in the humility of Christ with a humility of heart. And, um, but as we look at what it looks like to walk in a lifestyle of humility, we, there, there's things we can do to help us. And I think one of the first things that would help us come out of a place of arrogance or pride is repentance. I, even last night after I read this with Evan Roberts, as I was going to sleep, I was, I was just going through and, and, and actually doing this and thinking, is there anything in my past that I haven't actually confessed to the Lord? I know all of my sins are covered and forgiven, but I, I just thought I'd go through and I'd just intentionally bring each one to the Lord as the Holy Spirit brought it to my remembrance. And I tell you, repentance is such a joyful thing. It's like having a shower where your conscience just gets washed and, and regret loses all of its power because it's like there's no room for your conscience to harass you. So I was just talking to him about all these different things. 
And I believe that if we will just develop an attitude where we are coming before the Lord, we're quick to repent when the Holy Spirit puts his finger on, on something. I was remembering and thinking of things that I'd done that might have humiliated somebody or embarrassed somebody, sometimes accidentally, sometimes not realizing what I'd done and yet still being able to come before the Lord and say, oh God, I'm so sorry for that. Thank you for forgiveness. And, and that's, that's where the, the water comes, where, where your conscience is cleansed, where, you know, ah, it's been dealt with with the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And it's a beautiful thing. And it is a wonderful way to make sure that you're, you're not going to continue to walk in arrogance or pride or presumption. Amen? Another thing we can do is thankfulness. I heard Chris Vallotton say this. He says, you can't be arrogant and thankful at the same time. Because if you're thankful for what the Lord has done, you're not assuming that it's your doing. And remembering that every good and perfect thing comes down from the Father of lights. I like his, um, his definition of humility too. He said, humility is not um, thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less which I thought is very true. God wants you to, to realize, praise the Lord, that he's made you a new creation in Christ. He, we're not called to hate ourselves because we're supposed to love each other as we love what, you know, love each other as we love ourselves. And if you're horrible to yourself and you don't like yourself, you're not going to have much hope at loving anybody else. He wants you to be joyfully, peacefully confident in the righteousness of Christ, but he wants us not to be egocentric, but to be asking the Holy Spirit, help me to know what's on your heart. And he'll lead you to pray for other people. He'll lead you to love and to bless other people, hallelujah, and to live in a place of thankfulness. Another key thing, I think, for walking in humility is a lifestyle of prayer. Because if you're arrogant, you, you'll sort of have the attitude of, oh, you know, I'll be right. I got it all. I can just do it all. I can do it myself. You know, even as Christians, yeah, yeah, I'll just do this. I'll say this and that and that. But, but God's heart for us in the secret place, even as Esther came before the king, the first th thing she'd done is been in the secret place with the Lord. Humility is birthed in the secret place as we're asking for help. You see, it takes humility to ask for help. Because you don't ask for help if you, if you, if you want to you know, maintain this idea that I'm right and I'm, I've got it and I'm okay. And that's arrogance. But humility will ask for help. Hallelujah. And so prayer is asking for help talking to the Lord, and you'll develop and cultivate an attitude and a heart of humility when we do this. Amen? And the last thing I, I was thinking about in terms of developing and living in a place of humility, because I want to walk in humility, and it's so easy sometimes culturally to flip over and realize, oh, hang on, that was arrogant, oh, that was proud, or that was presumptuous, or that was boastful. But rather than whipping yourself about it and harassing yourself about it, recognize it quickly, repent, and then develop these, these lifestyle habits that will keep you, for the Lord's your keeper. He'll teach you his ways. He'll show you his paths. Hallelujah. I believe this is a word from God because it's not the word I wanted to bring today. Open your hearts. This will help you. 
Faith that trusts God instead of needing to promote yourself is a wonderful, wonderful antidote to arrogance. Because arrogance and pride says, I'll just fix this, I'll just go there and I'll do this and I'll do that. And instead of coming before the Lord and realizing actually you're the, you're the one that's going to help me, I'm going to put my hope in you. I don't need to open my mouth and defend myself. I don't need to fight in my own strength. I'm coming before the Lord asking you for your help. And then in that place, he'll give you a strategy. He'll show you what to do. But it's not being done then in your own passion and your own um, strength. It's being done in humility and submission to the Lord. Amen? Hallelujah. For he is faithful. I could say a lot about that. I've had so many times where I've wanted to do something. I'm an action woman. I'm like, do it, do it yesterday. Get something done. And the Holy Spirit, sometimes through the voice of Tom, (laughs) will say, do you really want to do that? Or would you rather let the Lord defend you? Like, oh, yes, I'd rather let the Lord defend me. Or you. No, okay, I mean the Lord. Yes. Yes, the Lord. And consistently I found God can do more than even Tom can do. That's big. Way, way more than you could 